You know, one of the devil's real tactics, when we think about the devil, a lot of us think of him hurling fiery darts at us of temptation or, or fear or depression or whatever. Or we picture the, the devil afflicting us with some kind of a painful something physically. But let me tell you one of his favorite tactics we don't think about very often, and that is to distract us away from what matters most. I li- I'm going to call him today the master distractor. He's a distractor, and I may not have occurred to you, but have you, have you ever noticed that, that you decide to seek God, you decide to get up and get into the Word, you decide to pray, you decide to make Him first in your life, and all of a sudden a million different things come along to distract you, to get your attention, to rob you of your focus on Him. Have you ever noticed that? And we go, wow, what a coincidence, but maybe not. Because I'm going to talk to you today about weapons of mass distraction, Weapons of mass distraction. Because Jesus is going to tell us in the parable we're about to read that one of the devil's ploys with us is to distract us away from what will really transform us and cause us to grow. How many of you want to bring forth fruit to the kingdom of God? Amen. You want to be a fruitful believer? All right. Let's read one of Jesus' most fundamental parable, the parable of the sower. And I'm going to zip through it real quick. And I want you to notice what Jesus tells us about distractions. He said, then he spoke, Matthew 13, verse 3, then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away, and some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground. That's where we want to be, good ground, and yielded a crop, some 100, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, give us ears to hear today that this word would change us and, Lord, would would tighten up our walk with you, help us to have a closer walk with you and to successfully avoid the distractions of life that take us away from you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, perk up and listen, you're going to need this before you get home. Amen. (laughs) All right. Now, Jesus gave this parable and the disciples typically didn't understand the parable. They really did not have spiritual discernment until Pentecost when the Spirit fell and filled them. Um, Then they began to understand the things of God way better. But here they're perplexed about what he meant by this parable. And so when they get Jesus alone, they say, would you explain this parable to us? And Jesus said, you got it. And he said, let me tell you what I meant. The seed that is sown in the parable represents the Word of God the gospel, starting with the gospel and then the rest of the entire word of God. Right now, as I read this this word to you, the parable of Jesus, I'm sowing the seed of the word of God into your heart. It's seed and it's intended to go down into our soul, get planted, germinate, put down roots and spring up into spiritual fruitfulness. So the seed is the word of God. Then he said, the ground that the seed is sown on 
is the hearts of men, the hearts of people. I'm sowing the seed of the word of God right now onto your heart. It's falling on your heart. Now what Jesus did was he gave us four different kinds of hearts. He describes four different kinds of soil or hearts that the word of God is sown onto. The first seed, Jesus said, is stolen away, stolen out by the devil, snatching it from their heart. So the first one is stolen out. They don't even get saved. The second seed is burned out by fiery persecution that Satan uses to cause them to stumble. So the first one is stolen out. The second one burned out. The third seed is choked out by the devil using uh, distractions, distractions. And this is the one I want to look at today because this seed is choked out. And if you were to ask me which of the seeds is most relevant to the church today, I would say as a pastor, I've seen this one more than any other cause Christians to be unfruitful. It is when distractions are sent by whatever, the devil or whatever, and we are distracted away from what matters most, and it causes us to not bring forth the fruit God intended us to bring forth. So I'm going to focus on this third seed today, the seed that fell on thorny ground. Jesus said, he who had received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, they get saved, and the cares of this world. Now here's the two weapons of mass distraction. He's going to name two. He says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke. Everybody say choke. The word is, it's like somebody is being strangled. The word in you, the word in me is being choked, which is to kill something. It's being strangled by these two weapons of mass distraction. They're being choked out. And the result is he becomes unfruitful. He's, he's saved, but he come, becomes unfruitful. He's saved, but he does not bring forth the fruit that God intended. So by two skillfully employed distractions, Satan causes this person to be unfruitful. So I want to focus today on this third seed, as I've said, uh, and how the devil uses distractions to sabotage our fruitfulness. Now, again, let me ask you, how many of you want to be fruitful? See, we know it's the will of God that we're fruitful, right? Because Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. That you would go and bring forth what? Fruit. Everybody say fruit. And that your fruit would stick, would remain, would not be taken away, would not be robbed, would not be choked away. So Jesus said, you might think you chose me, but I actually chose you. I'm the one that came knocking first. And I'm the one that loved you first. We love him because he first loved us. So Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I first chose you. And that's why you chose me because I first chose you. And when I chose you, I had something in mind. I had in mind you bringing forth spiritual fruit. Now, let me tell you what that means. It is inward fruit and outward fruit. Inner fruit is love, joy, peace. Galatians tells us what the inner fruit is. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, so in God's plan for you and me, let's just stop right there. We should be loving more than we did a year ago. We should be, have more joy than we did a year ago. We should be walking in greater peace than a year ago. He goes on, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, 
kindness. We ought to be nicer than we were a year ago, kinder than we were a year ago, more patient than we were a year ago. The fruit of the Spirit, it's an inside job. It's what the Holy Spirit does inside of us as we seek the Lord and walk with Him and abide in Him. We bring forth the same thing that is in the vine. We're the branches, He's the vine, and we ought to be bringing forth the same fruit that is in the vine. If it's an apple tree in the trunk, it doesn't bring forth peaches in the branches, no. Whatever is in the trunk goes into the branches. Whatever is in the vine goes into the branches. And and we're branches plugged into the vine, and so we ought to be looking more like Jesus, talking more like Jesus, walking more like Jesus, loving like Jesus, patient like Jesus, growing into the fullness of the stature of Christ. So I want you to say with me, he didn't, I didn't choose him. He chose me. Now, you're saying that like you kind of believe it. Let's try it one more time. I didn't choose him. He chose me. Say with me, he had something in mind that I be fruitful on the inside. Now, that's, that's one thing, but the, the fruit is also outward. So there's, there's, there's in-reach and there's outreach. There's inner growth and outer growth. As we grow to be like Jesus, it's his intention that we would influence other people for Jesus Christ. We ought, when we get to heaven, we ought to meet some people that are there because we met them, shared with them, influenced them for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, you are. I want you to say with me, I am. Now, if he says you are, then I am. He said, you are the light of the world, and you are the salt of the earth. Well, if he tells me you are, then I am. Now, he's defining me. He's telling me what my purpose is in God. I'm not just supposed to bring forth fruit within, but I'm supposed to touch people out here and bring some people along with me to heaven. That's the will of God. I'm the light of the world. Me, you, we're the light of the world. That means the light, Jesus Christ, lit us so that we can light others we are, and he says, no man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel, but you put it on a, on a, on a lampstand and it gives light to all that are in the house. And so everywhere we go, we're to shine. Everybody say shine. Do you remember the 4th of July when we used to do those sparklers? I used to love that as a kid, the sparklers, it's sparkler time. And you got that little box of sparklers and, and somebody would light your sparkler and then you would take your sparkler and light somebody else's sparkler. Then they would turn and light somebody else's sparkler. And then they would, and before you know it, you got 20 or 30 people lit. And that's the will of God when it comes to walking with Jesus. He lights you and then you're supposed to turn around and light somebody else's sparkler. And then they get to go light somebody else. And that's the will of God. We're to light other people. We are not just to make it to heaven by the skin of our chinny, chin, chin. We are to get there after walking with him, bringing forth much fruit on the inside and bringing fruit on the outside so that when we get to heaven, we say, hey, brother, you shared Jesus with me. Hey, sister, you shared Jesus with me and you lit me and I lit somebody else. Look at all these people that are here because we lit each other. He's a master distractor, the devil, 
because he wants to make sure that we do not bear fruit. He says, I can't keep you from salvation because now you're saved. So what can I do? The master distractor then makes it his business to distract us away from focusing on the one thing God's called us to, spiritual growth, inner growth and outer growth. And so he distracts us away from focusing on Jesus Christ. He uses the cares of this life and the deception about money to choke and to strangle the word, causing Christians to be unfruitful. Now, if I'm distracting somebody, what I'm doing is I'm trying to turn their attention away from something I don't want them focused on. You know, I have dogs. I have two dogs. I have a big dog and a little dog. I found out that my big dog was stealing my little dog's food. Oh, she was slick with it too. I mean, she did it so stealth-like. I would feed them both. Their bowls were in the same room. And I began to notice my little dog's food was gone so fast. I would look at my little dog and say, hey, his name is Max. I'd say, Max, you really were hungry. But in the meantime, Katie, the other dog, is licking her chops off in the distance looking at me real funny. And I began to realize Katie has been eating Max's food. So I got to where when I fed Max, I I would get a little doggy bone and I would throw it Katie's way to distract her away from Max's food. And I kept distracting, look over here, look over here, look, don't look there, look here. And it worked. And Max started gaining weight. Because now Max can eat. But here's the deal. The devil doesn't want you focused on Jesus, seeking Jesus, spending time with Jesus. So he'll say, look over here. Look over here. Get involved in this. Get involved in that. Hey, hey, hey. Look anywhere. Look here. Look there. Look up. Look down. But don't look at him. Don't focus on him. And it starts with when you're lost. Have you ever thought about it? He has a huge bag of distractions to keep us from even hearing the gospel. He'll do anything to keep the lost from hearing the gospel. I was 16 years old in juvenile home for a felony for sale of narcotics as a juvenile delinquent kid that was really troubled. I was in jail and I heard the gospel there as a 16 year old for the first time in my life. Growing up in America, I never heard the gospel. The devil kept it from me because when I heard it, I got saved. But the devil will do anything to keep people from hearing the gospel. Some of you, he's tried hard to keep you from hearing about Jesus. Entertainment, partying, drugs, alcohol, career pursuits, relationships, false religions. Whatever it takes for the devil to say, look here, look there, look over there, look at this, look at that. But don't look at him. Don't look at Jesus. Because if you look at Jesus, you're liable to get saved. And if you get saved, I'm going to lose your soul. And if I lose your soul, I might lose other souls because you got lit. This is exactly what happened to the first seed that was stolen out of somebody's heart. Jesus said they heard the gospel, but it was stolen out before they even had a chance to be saved. They heard the gospel, seriously considering what they just heard, and Satan sent distractions into their mind. Here's an example. Have you thought about those bills you need to be paying? Boy, you, you're, you, you need to come up with some money. You got some bills to pay. Have you considered those bills lately? You just heard the gospel, and all of a sudden, here comes these distracting thoughts. You got to pay those bills. That's a lot of bills. Or how about, boy, you're about to go on that great vacation to the tropics. Have you thought about it lately? Sitting out there on the beach with that beautiful blue water coming in. 
waves rolling, music playing. And before you know it, you just heard the gospel, but now you're thinking about something completely different. And we think it's our own thoughts, but I'm here to suggest to you sometimes when our mind is on Christ and something powerful is about to happen to us in Jesus Christ, the devil will blow a distraction into our mind. Or what about... He says to this person that just heard the gospel, what about that Buddhism your friend just told you about? Shouldn't you check into that first before buying into all this Jesus stuff? And before you know it, you're distracted by another religion. Or you really don't have time for a religion in your life right now. you got bills to pay, kids to raise, places to go, things to see, career to pursue. You'll handle it later. Do it later. Forget about it now. And the distractions distract us away from Jesus Christ and the master distractor steals the word out of our heart before we're even saved. Has that happened to some of you? Has that happened to some of you? In the first service, we had several people come to Christ. One woman with her family came down. First she came down and then her family came down. Her parents came down. They were, they were hugging her and rejoicing that she got saved. And I, and I just know for a fact, she was a sharp looking businesswoman type, type lady. I'll guarantee you there were times in her life Jesus knocked, but the devil distracted her away. Now the implication in the parable is that while the first person never gets saved, the next two people do get saved, but they don't bring forth fruit. The one on stony ground, we're told, joyfully hears and receives the word. So they're saved. And the one on thorny soil hears and receives the word. So they're saved. The one on good ground is a given. But Jesus points out that since they're saved and they're unfruitful, it's an issue because he said, I've I've chosen you that you would go and bring forth fruit and your fruit should remain. So it's an issue to Jesus. They should have been fruitful and they weren't. And he tells us why they weren't. One reason is weapons of mass distraction. They were distracted away. The Bible is so clear about you and I successfully resisting distractions and disciplining our life to the place where we don't let anything get between us and Jesus. Amen. We don't let anything distract us away. Listen to Hebrews 12 2. looking away. Everybody say looking away. Now notice how accurate the word of God. Look how this follows up what Jesus said, looking away from all that will do what? distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Now notice, notice he says, we got to learn to look away so that we can look to, you got to look away from, so you can look toward. There's some things you just have to say, I'm going to look away. I'm not going to let this distract me because I need to get with Jesus Christ, spend time with him, time in his word, time in prayer, so that my spiritual growth takes place on a daily basis and nothing distracts me away. In the Bible, in the book of Numbers, we find something. We find the power of focus. We find, we find a beautiful example of Jesus Christ in the story of the children of Israel uh, walking across the wilderness, and they complained all the time. They, they literally complained themselves out of the promised land. They, com- they, they dug a ditch with their complaining, but this one day, they complained so bad. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. God sent fiery serpents among them, and the fiery serpents began to bite them. And they began to die. Now I'm thinking rattlesnake. I'm thinking copperhead. I'm thinking water moccasin. That's the kind of fiery serpent I know about. This was poison.
poisonous snakes. And they began to move among them and bite them, and they began to die. And they come running to Moses, and they say, Moses, Moses, we're sorry for complaining. Do something about this. And Moses goes to God and says, God, what do I do? And God said, I want you to make a bronze serpent, and I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to hold it up. And every person that's been bitten that looks at that bronze serpent is going to be healed. And there is a picture there. There is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ because those serpents represent sin. And the Bible says that every member of the human race has been bitten by the fiery serpent of sin. And because of our sin, we are in spiritual death. But then Jesus sent his only begotten son and he didn't put him on a pole, he put him on a cross. And the Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's why God told Moses, make a bronze serpent because that's a picture of my son because he's going to become sin for you that you might be made righteous and God put him on that cross and now God says yes you've been bitten by sin but if you look at my son on the cross Jesus Christ and call on his name you will be healed you will be saved you will be delivered you'll be set free you'll be reconciled to God it's a beautiful picture so everybody say looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith It says, so Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then all the people that heard the gospel of that time, look at that bronze serpent. Look at the bronze serpent. Just look at the bronze serpent. And when they focused on that bronze serpent, the legs that were swelling from the bite went down and they were instantly healed. And when we look at Jesus, something happens. Just looking at Jesus. Oh, there's so many things we can look at. But friends, when you look at Jesus on that cross, the healing commences Your life is changed. The venom of sin is taken out of your soul and you are saved. That story illustrates why it's so important that we place our primary focus in life on Jesus Christ. And it's why the devil constantly attempts to distract us away from focusing on him. Because the more we're focused on him, listen to me now, the more we focus on him, we are transformed into the same image as him. Listen to the Bible, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all beholding, say beholding with me. So this has to do with focus. We all beholding, looking at, gazing at the glory of the Lord are being what? Transformed into what? The same image as the glory of the Lord from one degree of glory to another. The believer is to go from faith to faith, glory to glory. And the more we focus on Jesus Christ, the more we're like him. We are literally transformed by that focus. Amen. So that's why the devil says, no, don't look at him. Don't spend time with him. Don't get into that Bible. Don't go to prayer. Don't meditate on Jesus. Let me, let me give you some things I'd rather you think about. I'd rather you give your time to. I'd rather you focus on and pursue. Because if you pursue him, you're going to be transformed into his image. And that means you're going to shine like a light. And that means my kingdom is going to be damaged. Listen, I don't know about you, church, but I love damaging the kingdom of Satan. Damaging it. Damaging it. Amen? 
And we do that when souls are influenced and lives are changed and we bring forth fruit. Now, let's look at the, quickly at the weapons of mass distraction. Let me just cover them quickly. He says, first, the cares of the world. That's a weapon of mass distraction. The Greek word for cares is a word meaning to divide. The devil uses worries and cares about things pertaining to this life to divide our attention and our time and our focus so that we don't focus on Jesus, to distract us away from placing our focus on him. The greatest example I can think of is Mary and Martha, the day where they had Jesus over for lunch. You remember that? Wouldn't you love to have Jesus over for lunch? What if you knew today you were going to go home and Jesus was going to come over for lunch? You wouldn't be here, would you? You'd be sweeping the floor. You'd be cleaning up the kitchen. All kind because of, Jesus is coming for lunch. But Jesus came for lunch at Mary and Martha's, and you got two different kinds of people there. Mary, the worshiper, and Martha, the doer. And, and so here's Jesus. He's in the living room, and, and the Bible says Mary's at his feet. And she's just looking at him, and she's taking in the word. She's soaking in the word. She's loving the word of God coming out of Jesus. She just wants to be with Jesus. There's nobody else in the world. Mary is totally focused on him. She is totally unaware of what's going on in the kitchen. Because in the kitchen, you hear the clang and bang of pots and pans. As not only does the temperature in the oven grow, but the temperature in Martha's soul is growing. Because she's getting really mad at little sis because she's not in there helping her serve. So get this, with Jesus in the living room, she comes blowing into the living room and tells Jesus off. Man, let me tell you, let me tell you who not to tell off. Don't tell off Jesus. But she goes in there and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sin now, I'm telling she's got a furrowed brow. There's steam coming out of her ears. She is not in the spirit. She is totally in the flesh. And, and, and she, is, she is mad. And she is saying, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now she's telling God what to do. Tell her to help me. And I love Jesus. Oh, he's always cool as a cucumber. He's always totally in charge. And, and he, he just goes, Martha, Martha. When he says your name twice, you're in trouble. If he says it once, you're okay. But when he says it twice, something's coming. Martha, Martha. Now look what he says. You are getting worried. Now that worry, word worried is the same word as care, and it's the word to be divided. So let me translate it. Martha, Martha, you are getting worried, divided, distracted, and upset about too many things. Only one thing is important, and Mary has made the right choice. Can you just see Mary beaming about now? Mary has made the right choice. Get off her back. She made the right choice, and it will never be taken away from her. This was a little gentle rebuke going Martha's way, and it was an affirmation that Mary had made the right choice to do what? To spend time with Jesus Christ, and in spending time with him, she was transformed. Notice how Jesus said that Mary's focus on him had earned her treasures that would never be taken away from her. And also that she had chosen the one thing most important in all of life. Now, I noticed early on in my spiritual walk that when I made Jesus first in my life, Satan went to work casting distracting thoughts and distracting circumstances my way into my path because he knew there was a call on me. He knew I was called to minister the word of God. So he did everything in the world to distract me away early on. He goes for you when you're young in God. 
and it distracted me. And the devil can use bad things to distract you. He can use the good to distract you from the best. And he knows better than many Christians do what spending time with Jesus will do for the believer. Now, all of you raised your hand when I said, how many of you want to be fruitful? If you want to be fruitful, let me tell you how it happens. Spending time with him. Spending time in his word. Spending time in prayer. Spending time meditating on him. And the key to winning the distraction battle is the first things rule. I want you to say first things. Now, we all have a will. We all can make decisions. Here's the first things rule. Listen, we set our watches to tell the right time, don't we? We set our ovens to the right temperature for cooking, don't we? We set our dish TV and our radio antenna for, uh, in, the, in, in the best direction for the best reception, don't we? We set many things in life to get the maximum thing out of them. And in the same way, we must first thing every day set our focus in the best direction for spiritual reception. And that is getting with the Lord in the morning, getting in the Lord, with the Lord first thing. He didn't say pray all day. He didn't say read the Bible all day. He just said put it first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Not second, not third, not default, not when you find time. Make time. Everybody say make time. Make time to get with God. And you know what it is? It's an acquired taste. When you start getting up and getting in that Bible first thing, you start wondering, why didn't I do this before? Because you discover the word of the Lord is like honey to your soul. It is gold. It is silver. It is riches. And it will begin to change you as we look at him, focus on him, meditate on him. First thing, when you set your mind and your heart first thing, then you tend to be there the rest of the day. If you miss it first thing, you tend to play catch up the rest of the day. Now, Satan's second weapon of mass distraction, quickly, is deception about money. Jesus calls it the deceitfulness of riches. Mark's gospel adds, riches and a desire for other things. So money and things are used by Satan as a weapon of mass distraction. Here's how he does it. He gets you focused on chasing after material things above God. Chasing after riches, chasing after that next new car, that raise at work, that better house, that new set of clothes, this, that, and the other. And you wake up and you're material-driven instead of Christ-driven. And Jesus said that is a master distraction that will take your time, take your energy, take your resources, and take, your t- take you away from spending time with him like Mary did. It becomes your pursuit in life. And and can I go ahead and throw this in? You want to know another master distraction? Social media. Oh, my. That's another one. Everybody say with me, Facebook. Oh, have you ever noticed? Listen, I have noticed. I've been to restaurants where people were at a table. Say four people at the table. I saw this. I've seen it many times. Every one of them looking at the iPhone. They're not talking. They're looking at the iPhone. I read a story where they're messaging each other across the table from the iPhone. They're not even talking to each other. I ride my bicycle. I go all all around trails and paths where there's woods, beautiful places to walk. I can't tell you how many times I've come up on people. And instead of looking at the birds and the creation and the beautiful things that God has made, they're walking like this where I almost run into them. 
I shock them. They're so absorbed in their phone. The phone rings and they drop everything like it's Jesus calling. They walk away from anything and everything. Oh, somebody messaged me. Hang on. World stand still. I, I have come. Listen, I have, de- I have declared war on Facebook. I go on there and I post some things, but I don't spend time on it because I do believe it distracts people away. You wake up in the morning and say, I need to get with God. And you look at a message on Facebook, one leads to another, which leads to another. And you see somebody unfriended you and you wonder why they unfriended you. Somebody else wants to be your friend and you can't believe they want to be your friend. And before you know it, you're doing all this friend stuff and, and you're all, di- and, and, and then you got to get up and get dressed and go to work and your time with God was shot because of a weapon of mass distraction. Well, I hit a nerve on that one. I didn't go there in the first service. I'm sure going there in the next one. Tweeting, Twittering, Facebooking. I mean, there's a million things to lose your time. There's nothing wrong with money unless the money has you. If the money has you, it's a weapon of mass distraction. It pulls you away from God. And God wants us focused on him. Amen? Only one thing will make you deeply fulfilled and happy. Only one thing. And it's what the devil is always trying to distract you from. Knowing Jesus and walking with him every day is where happiness and joy and fulfillment come from. And you get up and you make him first. First. Not all day, just first. First. And it sets the compass of your soul. To have an eye turned towards him all day long. And he makes you happy. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Look at this. All of you who work so hard beneath a heavy load, let me teach you. For I am gentle and humble. And you will find rest for your souls. Happy. Can we stand together today? How many of you can say, Pastor? I have been lured away by a weapon of mass distraction. I've seen it happen to me. My hand is up. My hand is up. I had to train myself in the morning. I have an iPad. And I had a tendency to open up that iPad with every intention of reading something spiritual. And I would catch a news headline. And I'm gone. Because I'm chasing another headline. And another one. Before I know it, I'm mad at what's going on in the world. I'm mad at the crazy things people are doing. And at my time with God's gone. So I have to act like my iPad doesn't exist. And I open up my devotional Bible and I read it first. Amen? I seek the Lord first. Let's go to him. Father, thank you for your blessing. Now, Lord, I believe there are people here today who need you desperately. And I pray that, Lord, as I give the invitation right now, you will touch them like you did those in the first service. With their heads bowed, if you can say, Jeff, this is a great message. I've heard the, the message and it, I, 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 I've enjoyed it, but there's a question in my mind about whether or not I'm really born again. I've, I've known about Jesus. I've been in church services. I've had religion, but I don't see the change in my life 
that is supposed to be there. And sometimes I wonder, do I really know him? We can settle that today. I love you. I'm not judging you. I love you in Christ. I've prayed for you before today even arrived. You can say, Jeff, that's me. I I have a question mark. If you have a question mark, you need to say God in your heart, knowing that you're his. So with our heads bowed, if you can say, Jeff, I would like to settle once for all the issue and turn my heart to Christ and know that I am his child by putting my faith in him, by putting, by focusing on that Christ hanging on the cross like they focused on the bronze serpent on the pole. I want to look at that Savior on the cross and I want to call out to him to save me. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up in the air and say, I need to pray that prayer. Just put it up high. Nobody's looking. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Put your hand up. I'm going to lead a, a simple sinner's prayer. And I want you to pray it with me. Just pray it with me right now, right where you are. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Forgive me my sin and come into my heart as Savior and Lord in Jesus' name.